Welcome everyone to Flyover Footy. You're listening to us on the Big 550 KTRS as your pregame home for St. Louis City SC, or you may be listening to us on your podcast platform of choice, but either way, we thank you for joining us. We have a fantastic show for you this week. My name is Matt Baker, and I'm joined by my friends in soccer, Santiago Beltran and Stuart Holtgren. Santi, let's start with you. How are you doing this fine day? Doing great, Matt. Getting ready for, for a weekend with uh, another away match. It's the beginning of the three games in eight days, and we get we get some away time. We get a little rest from City Park. Time to recharge, I guess, a little bit. I don't know if I want that rest from City Park, though, but uh, <laughs> we, we had the U.S. game there and uh, the Salt Lake game there on uh, Wednesdays, and now I'm ready to go back next Wednesday or Saturday and then next Wednesday. So, uh, no, doing great. It was a great 4th of July. Happy to be uh, back on flyover. It's been a while. It has, and it seems like it's been a long weekend, too. Hope everybody had a good holiday week, weekend, and let's get into it, guys, as we usually do. Let's get some takeaways from that Rapids 2-0 win. We know St. Louis City has been rounding into form pretty well lately. Santi and I dove deep into it on the last flyover fallout, but, you know, as always, there's some things to take away from as we go into the next match against Toronto. Let me kick us off. Um, My takeaways from the Rapids game, especially going into Toronto, is the fast and early start that I want to see not only again, but I want to see replicated in the second half. It seemed like there was a little uh, trepidation as we went into the second half and, and Colorado almost, almost got the better of us, but through some tactical subs, we saw some differing formations. I thought the, the fast start was great, obviously gave us the advantage going into it and put Colorado on their heels. And then also I thought we had some good formational shifts. I was really enjoying seeing the, the diamond start, the three center backs. It showed me that we have a lot of flexibility in this. And then my other takeaway from this was the big wing battle that I wanted to see. And I think I did see with Jared Stroud, Sam and Deneron really bossing the left-hand side, Akil Watts really just highlighting himself, extending himself down the right side, Indiana Vasilev helping to dominate that right mid and everything just kind of flowed well. What, uh, what do either of you think and take away from that Rapids match? So for me, it was the great performance by Akil Watts and Jos Jarrow again, getting another chance to to start and, and showing they could be options uh, down the road. Now that with three games in eight days, uh, maybe we will see them again. And the other thing I, I really liked was uh, the way um, Joaquini and Adeniran line up. Uh, we, we had talked in the preview about maybe Joaquini going underneath, but uh, we saw something different. So it's great to uh, see that flexibility the team has with different formations and uh, with the way it can use Nico and Adeniran when they play, when they start um, together. Couldn't agree more. It gave us a lot of insight into what a two-striker formation can look like without Klaus, and it was good. Stu, how about you? No, it was uh, the main things that stood out to me were the same. I mean, Nico, I think he really thrives with a a big man up top that he can play underneath. Uh, And with Klaus, we saw that. So when uh, Adenarin was back and playing, uh, fantastic seeing Nico play off of him. And Nico was unlucky not to have a couple goals. Uh, (laughs) That one in the first half where he put it right into the keeper was unfortunate, but love the energy and uh, love seeing when Nico plays well because it kind of shuts up the Nico haters and uh, he's great. Love Nico. 
Big fans of Nico on this pod, that is for sure. And a near two XG, you can't help but think he was really uh, he he was deserving of a goal and kind of hope to see one uh, up in Canada this week. There you go. He's due for a goal. There we go. Let's pivot then to some of the news of this week because it's not just news at this point, guys. We have a transfer window that is now underway. So let's start it off with a few of the player news. Some of the things, some of the burning questions people have from our star players as we look to finish up this first half of the season going into the All-Star break, going into League's Cup. Let's start with the bad news. Let's start with Klaus. Klaus has now come to, to the, I believe it's two weeks officially from the last update. It was the four weeks and now we're down to two. Guys, I overheard from training this week, Klaus had said, they keep taking pictures, and when they get one they like, I'll be out here and you'll know. But he hasn't trained with the team this week that we've seen, and it tells me that the staff's not liking what they've seen so far. Santi, have you seen or heard anything different? No, I haven't heard anything different, but he was he was out there um, yesterday, just uh, usually walks around and greets whoever is there. But yeah, same thing. He, he mentioned uh, what you said uh, waiting for for a good picture uh he looks optimistic but um it is hard to know this this type of injury and yeah we're based on the last update two more weeks but uh maybe uh with the way the team is playing maybe he will be held until after the league's cup break we'll see it seems like Stu, with the with the joaquini sam and on pairing it bides us time with Klaus and with Leuven and Nielsen a little more close to the horizon. I got to believe that no matter what's going on with Klaus, there's really no reason to rush him back at this point. Yeah, exactly. I think um, at the end of the league's cup is if, if we're not hearing anything about that, about his return at the end of that, uh, say August, then I think that's time to maybe panic a little bit, not panic, but you know, raise a little red flag because no need to panic when you have Big Sam and and Nico and and all these attacking options. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, it's it's been a while, and the club is cagey about him. So I think people would be naturally a little uh, curious about any updates. But um, overall, we know if. Klaus comes back later in the season. That's just like getting a transfer at the end of the year and move him into the lineup. And that's a bonus. It, uh, it yeah. definitely is a bonus. Yeah. And so the club is naturally cagey. I think that's a little, uh, it, it might seem obvious, but it's really not. If you look back at some of their comments, because they've given timelines and then things haven't worked out, they've given other timelines this one will hopefully work out, but I would be KG too if the timelines we were giving to the public that we're being held to the fire on weren't working out and you don't want to set expectations in the future. But some of the good news is Edu Leuven may be a little ahead of schedule with his return. So he's in that two to four week timeline. Uh, Joachim Nilsson is probably around a similar time frame, although he hasn't been uh, given that specific designation. But Leuven and Nilsson returned to practice this week with the team. Carnell saying between Edu and Nilsson, quote, Edu's closest out of those two, gaining considerable minutes as a neutral in practice. He says, quote, he feels really comfortable in his body and treatment has gone well. Just have to manage it with trainings and games. Can we get him competitive minutes with us in training? He's, he's progressing well, but we don't want to go too soon and have setbacks into the back end of August. 
taking it cautiously now, could be having part appearances between now and August 20. So that tells me that we're, we, and we know from today or from Thursday's press conference that he's not going to start right away. It might seem obvious too, but it's going to be a ramp up, just like we saw with Rasmus Alm, just like we saw with Jabulu Blom. Nielsen and Leuven are going to be ramping up, so they will eventually appear in a game day roster as subs. They'll come in for 15, 20 or so minutes, and then progressing from there. Joachim Nielsen, the last comments that Lutz had said is that we'd likely see him after League's Cup. Lutz said that during his transfer window discussion last week. Carnell didn't directly address Nielsen. I went back and re-listened to the press conference. He more focused on Edu Leuven, but like I said, Nielsen was in practice this week with the team, and both are going to travel to Toronto and LAFC. That's got to be a good sign, right, Santi? For sure, for sure. And before that, update that Lutz gave um, last week and mentioned uh, that maybe after the League's Cup, um, his timeline two weeks ago was um, two to four weeks. So right now it will be zero to two weeks, which basically puts him uh, close. But obviously when Lutz made those comments, obviously everybody took a breath and was like, was like oh my God, what's, what's going on? Did he have a setback? Uh, Carnell mentioned this week that that yeah that sometimes uh, like small knocks, small injuries could pop up, and he had a uh, he mentioned a hip flexor um, last week, uh, but he's back in training, and the fact that he's traveling with the team, uh, I think it may be closer than after the league's cup break, as long as he doesn't have uh, more uh, small injuries. Yes, Stu, I think just like with Klaus, Nielsen is is exactly even more so because we haven't had him this year uh, as as good as a new transfer in. But Leuven, as good as the news is that he's coming back quickly to me, Leuven is more of a linchpin to the entire offense that that we we can get by at a center back role. We can get by with the second striker that Sam and Denner on. It's more difficult to get by without Leuven. And we've done it successfully the past few games with the Diamond and with AZL Jackson. But Leuven, to me, seems like the more important to get back quickly if we want to really boss around our midfield. Yeah, I'd agree. Uh, But at the same time, uh, conservatively, he's the one I want to protect a little bit more for that Mm -hmm. same reason. Don't want to rush him back too soon to aggravate any sort of injury. Uh, Nielsen has the potential to be the best uh, center back in MLS uh, with his pedigree. What everyone said, of course, everything is just kind of potential at this moment we haven't seen anything um but what leuven is i mean we've seen how dangerous he is on set pieces on corners uh who can forget that insane set piece goal uh which is in the running you're gonna see that at the end of the year for uh, mls goal of the season Mm -hmm. um he's he's one that we absolutely need but we also need to make sure that he's fully healthy fully fit uh, wrap him in bubble wrap a little bit. Maybe he doesn't show up for. Uh, do, do we play him for Club America or do we do we wait? Um, I mean, MLS is going to want the the biggest players playing for that match, but to me, I think up. it depends on what he sees before that. I don't see us. I don't know introducing him into that environment, that match, knowing how physical some of those games are. That's a risk, but at the same time, Leuven's going to be that guy that fights to get in no matter what. And if that is his prescribed first appearance and he gets 15 minutes in it, um, just like 
his appearance in the U.S. Open Cup when we were up like four nothing and yeah. he came in in for twenty minutes. He's going to fight to get in, and if he's fully healthy and ready to go, I could see it happening. Yeah, Miggy Perez is also. I mean, he's a L tree guy, so he. I mean, playing against Club America, that's yep. that would be a big one. I mean, how amazing would that be to play against Club America on your home home field? Uh, so I'm sure he wants to be in that match and he wants to start. So we'll see how that goes. That's a great point. And it's it's definitely going to be something we have to keep an eye on, especially if Leuven doesn't appear in the next three MLS matches before that time frame. So that's kind of the news. Uh, everybody else seems to be a little healthy. Let's pivot to talk about something new that uh, we we did a big preview on last week. But if you didn't catch our, our podcast episode last week, we have some transfer rumors to talk about. And this is going to be an ongoing feature for Flyover Footy over the next month as the transfer window in MLS opened the secondary window July 5th through August 2nd, meaning players can be signed, loaned, uh, transferred in, out of the league in this month time frame. We've had a lot of teams make moves. We've talked last week on our show about Lutz's comments. We went really deep in that. So if you haven't listened to our podcast episode, please do. St. Louis City has two rumors that have been floating around. One is new as of this week. The other has been floating around for a couple weeks. Let's start with the one that we've we've been accustomed to for a couple weeks and, and is familiar to those who are paying the closest of attention. But Conrado is a name that may garner some attention. Conrado is a 26-year-old Brazilian left winger, left back. He's left-footed and is currently with Polish first division side Lechia Dansk. He's not a proven goal scorer himself from looking at his stats. He has he would add depth to our left side, but coupled with his age makes him an interesting prospect to add to our roster. He has a contract with Donsk from until June 24, meaning we would have to pay a transfer fee to get him out. And according to Transfer Marked, we have a market value on him of 651,000. Santi, Stu, do we know anything else about Conrado? Because we're going to go deep into it in our wind down episode, but anything else we want to highlight here on him? So the one thing um, that is interesting to me is that City, um, well, and yeah, this is just a rumor, but um, I like to see players from um, not from leagues in Europe that are not top leagues uh, connected to City. It just shows uh, the great job the team is doing, recruiting and scouting, looking in different places and. Uh, we can see uh, with some of, some of our current roster that um, the team uh, is looking for players in places where other people may not look. So um, I like I like these prospects, uh, and, and I like the job the team is doing. Uh, it's not and and when we talk about Toronto, we're gonna see the contrast. Like the team is uh, is more focused on finding the right player, the right fit. Not much about Finding a, a biggest star that is well known, well known around the world. So, um, so uh, it just shows the different way uh, St. Louis City is doing things. Yeah, and speaking of the right fit, the other new rumor this week is 23-year-old Icelandic left winger, center forward, Nukvi Thorson. And if I butchered his name, forgive me. Hopefully, we'll get more familiar with him because this one seems like it has legs. 23 years old. He has an international cap with Iceland, is reportedly coming to St. Louis, and has been reported in Belgium to be a done deal, though Manuel Veth, our friend with Transfermarkt, has a little dispute with that at the moment of this recording. A little on Thorson, he's fast in transition from articles and highlights. He has great pace, can get in behind lines with really good timing on long passes over the top, has a good first touch and finishing ability. 
He made his international debut for Iceland on January 8th, 2023 in a friendly match against Estonia. Started and played 63 minutes. And he has a contract through 2025 and a market value of $705,000. Stu, your name on our stream is uh, very uh, endearing. Anything you want to add about Nukvi or do you know how to pronounce his name correctly? Uh, Nukvi sounds good to me as well. Uh, <laughs> so I asked around to a couple Icelandic uh, friends of mine, and I haven't heard back yet on what they think about Nukvi, but I, I assume they have feelings on him. Uh, from previous conversations about generally Icelandic players. Mm -hmm. uh, but first off, things that uh, new fans should understand or first-time soccer fans, first-time MLS fans, uh, there will be a lot of rumors. There will be a ton of transfer rumors that fly around. A lot of them won't hit. So this is uh, – soccer is a lot different in that way compared to baseball or – or hockey, the the pool is just so much bigger, and you have so many agents out there who are trying to get a transfer for their player, uh, this or that. But uh, you you have an infinite number, basically, of talented players that you can get. And Nukvi is one of those guys that could hit the bill. I mean, he's six foot two inches. I don't know what his uh, actual build is. He looks like he's fairly solid for a twenty three year old. So I don't know if he fits into that kind of a hold-up uh, style forward striker or if they want a pacey left winger. I haven't seen enough of him yet, but his stats are good. And you, at this point, you have to trust what Lutz sees in people. I know he has that connection with him from uh, from Hoffenheim U19. So um he doesn't have the same agent as any current players, which surprised me because I know we've had some links before, but he's he's represented by agents who represent some pretty, pretty good players. So uh, I think he has aspirations and if we're connected to him, I think that's a good sign. And if you listen to our full podcast, we're going to go deep into Nukvi and to Conrado and the rest of MLS transfer updates in our wind down but you're listening to us on the Big 550 KTRS, and it's time to dig into Toronto FC, the upcoming opponent for St. Louis City SC. And these two teams could not be in different positions. It is almost like a, another conference matchup, cross-conference from what we did last week with Colorado. Going into this weekend, St. Louis City is still in first place in the West with 35 points through 20 games. St. Louis holds an 11-7-2 record. That's 11 wins, 7 losses, 2 draws. 39 goals scored and a plus 15 goal differential, an away record of 4-4-1, which is actually quite impressive given MLS uh, away difficulties and how parity often works with home and away. St. Louis's form in the last three matches, the 2-0 win against Colorado at home, a 2-1 win at San Jose, and a 3-1 loss at home against Real Salt Lake the midweek match prior. Toronto, on the other hand, comes into this match in 14th place in the East, second to last, with 19 points through 22 games. Their 3-9-10 record with 18 goals scored and a minus 13 goal differential. That's second worst in the league to the Colorado Rapids. They have a 3-2-6 home record, meaning all three of their wins have come at home to their credit. And Toronto's form these last three matches, a 4-0 loss midweek against Orlando on Tuesday, a 1-0 loss at home against RSL, and a 2-1 loss at home against the New England Revolution. 
Their last win, guys, was on May 27th at home against DC United, 2-1 win. And that was also, it was their only time since 422 at Philadelphia that they've scored more than one goal. They haven't kept a clean sheet since May 31st at home against the Chicago Fire, which was a 0-0 draw. The form, the overall issues, which we're about to get into, any really high-level things you guys want to say about Toronto and what we've seen recently from them? Santi, do you want to go? Yeah, just uh, not coming, not in great form. Uh, another thing uh, about their recent form at home, uh, just a um, couple of ties and a loss, and um, they have only scored one goal in those last three games at home. Interesting thing is that those last three games were against Chicago, Nashville, and RSL, teams that... Uh, beat uh, City recently, so I'm sure um, the coaching staff uh, probably look at those games closely. Um, but yeah, just um, not a lot good things to say about about Toronto. Um, they they um, fired Bob, Bob Bradley a couple of weeks ago, so uh, coming with a new coach, and um, we're going to get more into the details, but a lot of players not available so um it's just one of those that on the surface you will say oh yeah this is the right for three points but you always know that in this league anything anything can happen and there are new players that want to uh as Bradley Carnell will say like want to show their business card and show mm -hmm. what what they can contribute to a team so uh you, you always have to be careful with with this kind of matchups yeah, and that's really probably a good place to start before their player issues is Toronto FC has fired their coach and sporting director Bob Bradley uh, on March, or I'm sorry, on Monday, June 26th, amid his second season with the club. Toronto had gone 3-7-10. and 10. They were 14th in the Eastern Conference with 19 points in 20 matches at the time of Bradley's departure. He had compiled a 14-26-19 and 19 record during his tenure, and the club also fired assistant coach, technical director Mike Sorber along with that. TFC appointed Terry Dunfield as its interim head coach. He had been serving as the U-17 coach with their academy. And the form we mentioned has been what they've gone through since Bradley's, Bradley's firing. And Toronto FC, to their credit, hasn't been healthy for essentially the entire year. They've been missing guys left and right. Stu, this is a team that is depleted for various ways. National team duty, suspensions, injuries. I mean, where do we want to go with Toronto's roster? Because it's a mess. I mean, you expect more from this roster just looking at it because you have Insigne, you have Bernadette, uh, you have Michael Bradley, who's still, you know, an, a name for a lot of uh, people in MLS. Uh, yeah. But even Bob Bradley and Mike Sorber, I mean, Bradley has a, so much success in MLS as a coach, and Mike Sorber is fantastic as a sporting director i mean we all saw what he did with lafc uh but also look at sean johnson matt hedges uh cj sapong uh shane o'neill even a guy like jordan peruza who had so much success in usl league one and um looked like he was going to be a big thing it, it doesn't seem like a roster necessarily that should be this bad but they have been. <laughs> yeah. And and to their credit, um, 
they're they're going to be missing Federico Bernadeschi, who is suspended after not just getting a yellow card accumulation suspension, <laughs> but a, a red card suspension after his match against Orlando, where he claims he did not headbutt an Orlando mm-hmm. City player. Replays are debatable, but end of the day, he got a red card and will not be available for them. He's one half of their $15.6 million salary spend between their top two players, Lorenzo Insigne being the other one. And Insigne missed uh, the game against Orlando with a lower body injury, which something's going in on in the water with Toronto and their lower body injuries because they're missing Michael Bradley, Adama Diamande, Christian Gutierrez, Matt Hedges, Sigard Rosted, Victor Vasquez, all from lower body injuries. But Bernadeschi and Insigne, Toronto FC, since the debuts of those two players who cumulatively take up $15.6 million of their salary as designated players, together since last July, seven wins, 15 losses, 13 draws, a .97 points per game. It has been a disappointing year with two of the most highly paid players in MLS. An insult to injury now, Lorenzo Insigne has changed an agent and now wants to leave Toronto and is reportedly in talks with the Saudi club to possibly leave as quickly as this window. So not just an Insigne injury issue with a lower body, but Insigne may not want to suit up for Toronto again as he looks to leave TFC. This this combined with their injuries and their international departures, which right now three of their better players, Sean Johnson, Jonathan Osorio, and Richie Larea, are still with Canada as they move on to the Gold Cup match against the U.S. on Sunday. This, this team is the most depleted I think I can ever recall an MLS side being. Santi, with so many players out, Bradley Carnell, you had a good point. Bradley Carnell did say that they'd prefer to face a Toronto team that has all their stars. They see that there's a bunch of guys trying to prove themselves, next pro, playing for spots, playing for their lives and livelihoods. They're outside of the playoff line, trying to make a push. Carnell says their complacency cannot be a thing for them. We don't want to rest on what we've done. We want to prove something every day going forwards. Trying to rile his guys up, I think, a little bit to say it's still an away match in MLS. These guys are hungry. This could be a trap game. So you can't let injuries to Michael Bradley, injuries to Bernadeski, or suspensions to Bernadeski, national team departures, all of this coming together. It could possibly be a great underdog story for Toronto, even though it's not trending in that direction. You have to really hope that Carnell is able to motivate these guys and they're able to motivate themselves to carry on what they need to do against Toronto. Yeah, yeah, hopefully enough to um, to get three points, get a third win in a row. Uh, I cannot stop thinking about this 15.6 million between two players. <laughs> <laughs> it's higher than than the whole uh, city's roster. Um, it is. It's just that contrast between uh, the team with the with the highest uh, with the highest uh, budget uh, and City one of the lowest uh, and just. Uh, City at the top of the table, Toronto uh, almost at the bottom, and uh, just things not going well since uh, the two Italians came last July. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see if Insignia doesn't uh, play, if Toronto will play better without their two uh, big uh, DPs. But yeah, the group is hungry, uh, and it's still an away match, so um, you always have to be careful uh, with those. Yeah, and it didn't work out well against Orlando midweek, but you never know going home. Toronto doesn't have a win away this year, and like I said, they have their three wins at home. The The styles of play really speak to 
a team that is not is not pressing. They have no desire to uh, really attack. They they are tied in the league or second in the league with tackles to City, but they have a whole host of weaknesses, and some of their strengths are long shot opportunities and stealing the ball from the opposition with those tackles, but they can't finish scoring chances. We're going to talk about some of these mm. advanced metrics in a minute, but they can't finish scoring chances. They're bad at defending against long shots. They're bad at defending through balls. They're bad at protecting the lead when they have it. They're bad at avoiding individual errors, defending set pieces, defending against attacks down the wings, all things that we've seen St. Louis city be very successful with. They like to make short passes. They like to make long shots or attempt long shots. At least when they're attacking, they like to attack down their right side, but they're not very aggressive and they like to play the ball in their own half. I found it fascinating that at the end of May, right before, um, right before Bob Bradley was fired. And as Toronto is experiencing some of these injury issues, um, Federico Bernadeschi had some quotes that he gave to some outlets in Toronto really seem like they're frustrating quotes in how the style of play has just not materialized into something that is the slightest bit effective. Bernadeschi, these are kind of scathing quotes, and I would, I would be horrified if one of my own players had said this about my team. He goes on to say, to play like this, it's difficult for everybody. We play long passes. We don't have any ideas of how to play. When a player has the ball, we don't have ideas for the movement of another player. If you create chances by yourself, good. If you have three, four opposing players around you, it's impossible. Sounds like a St. Louis swarming defense to me. Federico says, when the player has the ball, we don't know how to pass. This is the real problem. We lose every game. We tie. Sometimes we win. I can't believe this. This is not good for our young players from the vaunted Toronto Academy. He goes on to say, they need to grow up with an idea of football. The players with personality need to help us understand and follow the idea of football. But we need the idea of football. This is the real situation. Stu, this is uh, not just a team with injury issues. This is a team in cultural chaos, it seems. Yeah, and I think that's a key reason why Bob Bradley's out, and so is Mike Sorber. Uh, and I think, honestly, Michael Bradley will probably be out as club captain uh, as soon as they can get him out. Um, but even a guy like uh, Insigne, if he's dropping tools, if he's just if he's checked out, I mean, this is a guy who was connected before he went to Toronto FC and kind of a shocking move. He was with Napoli and he had offers from Tottenham and Barcelona, yep. uh, Everton and a few other big clubs. He might be regretting the last two seasons he's spent in Toronto. Uh, and the, that Saudi money is probably looking pretty good compared to, I mean, Toronto's an absolutely fantastic place to live, but, uh, he'll bump up that salary for sure. But if, if you have a dysfunctional team, I'm just thinking not to cross sports, but what's going on with the Cardinals right now, uh, not to bring up or put salt in the wound for a lot of people who watched last <laughs> night's game, but uh, Cardinals have a, a ton of talent, but they're just, they're not, they're not vibing. They're not connecting. They're not, they're not just, working together well and Toronto seems that way because there should be a better team in there but they're not just like uh Bernadette said they and that's a coaching issue that's a training issue they need to get everyone on the same page but they can do that next week they could it could happen at any moment but one of the biggest problems that Toronto has is their ability to finish 
They are second to last in goals scored in open play with 12 through 22 games. They have the second highest expected goals against on set pieces with 7.49, meaning they're really bad against defending set pieces. And, and they have a terrible defense in open play too. They've allowed the second highest actual goals against an open play with 25. So they can't finish. They have a poor defense. In fact, they're, they're only players with more than two goals are Bernadeschi, uh, Lorenzo Insigne, and DeAndre Kerr, another forward who has only played more than 70 minutes once this year and has two goals in the last seven games. So this team is trying to find somebody who can spark them. They're trying to find somebody who can help protect any kind of a, a defense that they can do. They're going to fall back in the low block. They're going to try and and play pretty horizontally. They are 24th in the league in direct speed, 22nd in passes per sequence, right there by Colorado. They have more passes per sequence than Colorado and the exact same speed upwards on the field. So if you remember what we saw with the Rapids, guys, the this team, Santi, I'm seeing a whole lot of reminiscent from the Colorado Rapids in what we're actually going to face because we know the struggles that they've been through with their team and their personnel, but the team that they're actually going to carry into and play against St. Louis city is more or less the team that we saw against Orlando minus the best player for them who was on the field. And they lost against Orlando for nothing. Is there a, what is the threat I guess that Toronto can offer and what does St. Louis really have to do to protect themselves? So an interesting fact, um, you were talking about all those remarks that Bernardeschi made uh, at the end of May. Mm -hmm. The next game after that, he uh, he was, I don't remember if he was suspended or just technical decision to uh, not suit him up. They won that game. That was their last win. Um, so maybe, maybe it could be said that without him, the team plays better. Just it's about chemistry. And uh, maybe um, his attitude is not the best. Uh, so maybe that would be extra motivation. Um, but yeah, it's just that with all the absences, uh, lo a lot of new players, hungry players that want to show uh, the interim coach uh, that they can be an option for the team and that they deserve minutes. Uh, so it's always, it's always risky to play against a group that is kind of new and is hungry and want to show uh, the coaching staff uh, what they can do for the team but but yeah as as i said on the surface is it doesn't look like a like a threat but um in mls uh, anything can happen anything can happen any given saturday and especially when you're a home team struggling that's the perfect time to get back on track as as we've seen uh, from st louis city one of the things to watch out for for me is the way that toronto tends to dominate possessions between the channels up to midfield but they have an even split on the wings. So they, they've been a little weaker on the wings. I think this is an opportunity for guys like Jared Stroud, Sam Adeneron, whoever starts a right back, whether it's Akil Watts or Jake Nerwinski. If Rasmus Alm's out there, he could feast on the right-hand side. I think this is an opportunity for our wings to expose another team and create space just like we did last time where you beat them on the far wings and, and you try to get them to spread themselves out on the channel Toronto guys, to me, they're not going to press. Uh, they have the highest passes per defensive action. One of my favorite stats, which calculates how many passes a team allows an opponent before they make a defensive action. So you allow a team to make X number of passes before you go for a tackle, interception, or a foul in attacking areas. 
and this is 40% away from the team's own goal. So St. Louis is high press. We allow 9.2 average passes per defensive action. Toronto, 14.5. They're tied with the fire for the highest. And they're just not a team that's going to really provide a whole lot of pressure, but that's going to just put more pressure on St. Louis to find a way to break down that low block, utilize Sam, utilize Jared. Stu, what do you see as a couple of the, the players to watch or some of the keys to the game that we can use to break down Toronto? Well, something that's come up today actually is uh, Franco Ibarra is going on loan to TFC from Atlanta yep. United because Atlanta United has too many U22. Uh, they need to free up U22 initiative player that's slot. Right. And Franco Ibarra is he's he's a defensive midfielder and he's pretty good at it. He's in the 99th percentile on tackles, blocks. Uh, 88th percentile in clearances, 77th in aerials one. So uh, I think he will be available to play for Toronto on Saturday, but he didn't train with Atlanta today. Doug Robertson of Atlanta, the Atlanta Journal, was mm-hmm. reporting that, that earlier today. Uh, but he's I think he's kind of a wild card, and to get that this late before – a match has to kind of throw Carnell a little in a little bit of a loop because how do you, how do you prepare for that? Yeah, it's, it's similar to when Sam Adenron was recalled from loan, right? Not a whole lot of difference in uh, the timeliness to where we recalled him. Uh, San Jose weren't able to properly prepare for what he had to offer. And I think that gave us an edge that gave us an additional weapon. And, And that's a good call out that you have to wonder if we might be kind of falling into the same boat with Ibarra. And, and Ibarra offers a lot to Toronto in a way that Jabulu Blom kind of does for us, I think. There, there's a, a defensive soundness that we're going to encounter if he's able to suit up. And that'll be interesting to see what he's able to do inside those channels or really disrupting our midfield uh, and AZL Jackson or whoever is our attacking number 10. I like that call out a whole lot, Stu. My keys to the game, as we kind of look to to wrap this up and get into our keys and predictions and scores, my keys to the game are we have to press hard and force turnovers. Uh, Toronto is very prone to those those high-pressing turnovers, as we saw against Orlando, where just in midfield, Orlando was able to really dispossess them quite a bit. And in doing that, we have to trust our defense, whether it's Parker, Bartlett, Hebert, Yarrow, Watts, Nerwinski, whoever it ends up being, Trust that our defense can track back. And and as Kyle Hebert said today in or Thursday's press conference, he said that when he has guys like Jared Stroud or Sam able to stretch the field and want to take the ball, carry the ball up themselves and push higher, it allows him to fall back defensively. If we're able to leverage our left side that way and be, be very strong defensively on our left side, giving freedom and flexibility for our midfielders and attackers to move forward at will, I think that's going to offer a lot to disrupting on the wings what Toronto is weak at. And then that left side of the field in particular, stretch it and create spaces. We really need to draw set pieces too. I I harp on this every once in a while when a team is particularly weak against set pieces. But Toronto, like I said earlier, has one of the highest expected goals against on set pieces. This is a perfect opportunity for the depth of set piece takers that we're starting to see for St. Louis City. So knowing that Leuven is out, uh, Indiana Vasilev is not our always- free kick, always set piece, always corner kick taker. It could be a Rasmus Alm. It could be an AZ Jackson. We have options depending on who is 
who is familiar with whatever sequence Alex Langer wants to throw and whatever formation in a set piece look we have, there's a lot of opportunity to me to expose Toronto. Any other keys to the game, Santi or Stu, that you guys have that we really want to point out for how St. Louis can attack or defend against Toronto? Yeah, I think uh, definitely the press um, St. Louis uh, plays uh, will be key just because of um, the way Toronto plays uh, with uh, short passes, uh, playing on their own field. Um, hopefully uh, we will see uh, one of those uh, mistakes high up and uh, St. Louis will capitalize with that. But yeah, I think the press will be will be a key to, to beat Toronto. All right, Stu. I'm giving you the first go at lineup predictions. Who do you think we're going to see starting for St. Louis City against Toronto? Uh, if available, I'd go with the same lineup as last week. Uh, I, they just looked great. Um, I don't know how you can switch that up necessarily. I don't know if you work all men to the starting lineup, but as was so fantastic, we saw Berkey call him out on Instagram as his man of the match. Mm-hmm. Um Love Adenarin up top. Love Nico playing underneath him. Uh, Keel Watts was fantastic on the right. Uh, Hebert on the left. How do, how do you mess with something that was so perfect? Um, I think we're moving closer to three at the back with wingbacks, but we'll get into that another time. Uh, for me, it's the same lineup as much as possible, assuming Bloom is ready to go. Yep, cohesion. Writing people who are in form, it's a, it's a good call-out, and it seems like something that's a hallmark of Bradley Carnell. Santi, you're up. Yeah, so uh, I was also um, thinking about the same lineup uh, just because uh, you don't change uh, a winning team, but just thinking about uh, the three games in eight days, mm-hmm. I'm going to make a, a small change. So I have a Berkey and then a Akil Watts, Parker, Jaro. Hebert, uh, so same back line, Blom, uh, Basilev, and then instead of Jerry Stroud, I have Rasmus Alm, and then uh, AC Jackson, and Sam Adeniran, and Nico Giacchini at top. Nice. I think I think that is a great call out and something to remember no matter what we end up seeing is the three games in eight days is likely to cause some change at some point because that second game is the pivotal one. I think for all of us looking at LAFC that big top of the table matchup in the West midweek next week we'll have the preview on flyover fallout for that but knowing that it is a bottom of the table team against Toronto top of the table team against LAFC back to the bottom of the table against Miami minus Matt. Busquets and Alba, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This is going to be an interesting thing to see how our lineups go, because at the end of that match, it's, it's the break. It's the league's cup. Um, it's not truly a break for city because they, they bounce back pretty quickly after the all-star break for league's cup, but that's the end of the first portion of the MLS season. My lineup, I have kind of an amalgamation of both of your guys. Um, it's the same lineup I think as last week, except for I plugged in Nerwinski for Watts. And that is only mm-hmm. because I think at this point in time, um, I kind of do like Akil Watts a- in that right back role. His form is impeccable right now, and I want to see that healthy and and available for 90 against LAFC. I could see a couple of guys swap out here. I could see Jared Stroud take a seat, saving him for LAFC. I could see Rasmus Alm sitting and then starting for LAFC. But my lineup is Berkey, Hebert, Parker, Bartlett, Nerwinski, and then a diamond midfield of Blome, Indiana Vasilev, Jared Stroud, AZ Jackson, Nico Jokini, Sam up top. And I'll throw this out there. 
I've got a four nothing St. Louis win. I think Toronto's going to have back to back four nothing losses. I think it's going to be an what? embarrassment. I think, yeah, I'm going for it full on, full homer mode. Um, I think our offense does the work, and we ride high after this weekend. Who gets the red card for Toronto this match? Uh, Hedges. Hedges, sure, why not? If if he if he's playing, if he's healthy, yeah. Stu, let's go with you for your uh, your prediction on score. Well, I can't be that optimistic, but uh, I'll say two one St. Louis. Um, and I'll say Nico and um, Jackson with the goals. Santi, what you got? Wow, Jackson with his first MLS goal. Um, I'm going to go since uh, last week was the first time I got the the prediction right in 20 weeks. I'm going to go with the same, 2 nothing St. Louis. Love it. Ride it high. Keep with the same lineup. Keep with the same score. Let's hope we keep with the same result. All right, guys, that's it for this. We've been Flyover Footy on the Big 550 KTRS. Thanks for joining us as your pregame home for St. Louis City SC. Catch us on our podcast. Search Flyover Footy. Enjoy the match. We'll talk to you later. Welcome, everyone, to Flyover Footy. Welcome back, everyone, to Flyover Footy and our wind down. We've got Santi, Stu, and myself, Matt Baker, here. We've got a few things that are fun to talk about. We're going to dive into the St. Louis City transfer rumors a little more in-depth and give a look at Conrado and Thorson. We'll look at a little bit of MLS transfer rumors because at this point, if you're doing a podcast about an MLS team, how can you not talk about Inter-Miami and what they're trying to put together down there? Because it's fascinating. And it's a little confusing, so we'll dig into that. But we have a really exciting thing to start us off. If you've been listening to us at any time over the past, I don't know, month or so, you'll know that we've been hyping up our first ever giveaway. And let me put it on the stream for anybody who can see it, because I'm playing around with my windows here. It is from Nico Sports. It's a collectible St. Louis City ball. It has fun city park facts on it about our inaugural match inaugural season inaugural win uh it has some info on our our first our our streak to open the season our first expansion team to win first five games and it's a beauty i mean it's it's great colors they got the color right they got the the crests all over it it's an exciting one and our only requirement to be entered into this giveaway is to have made a pledge and donation to the St. Luligans Pride Razor, one of the my favorite causes that they do all year long, and let us know because we hope that our listeners are Luligans to that to an extent or as much as we can, especially with charitable givings. So to that extent, I've gathered all the names of folks who have said on Twitter, on Facebook that you've donated, and I've got a nice little random number generator here pulled up. I've got the numbers pulled in. I've got my spreadsheet and let's give it a go. Three, two, one. Oh, we know this guy. It's Dan DeVilder. <laughs> oh, Dan. Our buddy Dan. <laughs> How about that? Congratulations, Dan. I've got a nice Nico Sports collectible soccer ball. Thank you again for your donation to the St. Luligans Pride Razor, Metro Trans Umbrella Group. Fantastic causes. Thank you to everybody who donated, to who pledged, to let us know. Dan, I will be in touch with you, and you might reach out to me beforehand if you're listening or watching this, but 
congrats again. And this was fun. I'm so glad that everybody let us know and donated. It's a fantastic cause. Thank you again so much. Really appreciate that. All right, boys, what do we want to do? We want to go to some all-star game. Let's do some all-star game chat right before we do some transfer window stuff because it's timely. The all-star game's coming up and we're a an expansion side that has the luxury of having two all-stars represent our team, whereas there are, I believe, 11 teams in MLS that have no all-star representation. Pretty great to have two. One of them being a nominee for the captaincy of the all-star game where MLS all-stars are facing the Arsenal FC coming into town. And Roman Berkey is our captain uh, candidate, so to speak. He's going up against three others in MLS. And if you haven't voted and you're watching on the stream, vote. It might be over by the time this is released in pod. But that's an awesome honor to have Roman Berkey as as a candidate for the captaincy i don't know if or when an expansion team has had that happen but guys uh what do you think about berkey and not just the captaincy but the skills challenge yeah he's definitely gonna be representing cd um being an, in the skills challenge and uh it'll be great um if he wins the the boat to um get the captaincy he has shown he he's a great leader for st louis cdsc and um it just makes sense. You're playing uh, Arsenal, uh, and he he has a lot of experience playing in in Europe. He played for Dortmund, so uh, to me, it makes sense. It makes sense. Uh, also, like uh, if MLS wants like more like marketing and have a player to highlight that is well known uh, in Europe, it makes sense to to have him. Uh, but uh, he has really done great things this year. Um, I was a little skeptic when when he was announced, uh, just because he had not played in a while. But uh, game by game, he has shown uh, that uh, he's in form and and he's a a very good goalkeeper. And every game, he stops a, a key shot and is um, very well deserved. So hopefully, uh, he'll do well in the skills challenge, and uh, hopefully, he will get the captaincy too. Speaking of the skills challenge, Santi, let's look at what that actually is because skills challenge is something that occurs on July 18th at 6.30 p.m. Central at Audi Field, uh, night before the All-Star game. And players will participate in five different challenges. There's the All-Star Shooting Challenge, the All-Star Touch Challenge, the Cross and Volley Challenge, the Passing Challenge, and the Cross Bar Challenge. And Roman Berkey is actually going to be competing in the Cross Bar and cross and volley challenges. Wow. Exciting to see uh, what kind of touch he has. He's not the only goalkeeper competing. Uh, Wayne Rooney naming Tyler Miller to the team. He gets a nod in the exact same contest, so it's going to be interesting to see. I'm a little disappointed that we didn't have a chip the keeper with with Tyler (laughs) Miller out there. I thought that would have been an easy win for Roman Berkey, but, you know, beggars can't be choosers. That'll be fun to see Berkey compete in the crossbar and cross and volley. Stu, what do you think about some of the guys who are going up against uh, Berkey in that? So looking at the lineup for Arsenal and looking at um, the absence of Matt Turner, but the inclusion of Fuller and Balogun, that's kind of exciting. Balogun is competing in the cross and volley and crossbar as well. So it's not just St. Louis that we get to see. It's a little U.S. national team involvement in this one. It's going to be exciting for a lot. I mean, if you're a fan of, of so many different things, you get to see a player who's probably representing something you enjoy. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm slightly cautious because we know that Arsenal's shopping Balogun and uh, 12 days mm. is a lot. Mm-hmm. So he might get a transfer in before then or just uh, a notification to say, hey, don't train, don't play, stay healthy, don't hurt your $50 million uh, <laughs> price tag. Don't but come no, in the MLS I mean, All-Star Skills Challenge. Yeah, don't don't uh, run on on uh, grass and slip and twist an ankle and pull a loftus cheek and mm. bust your Achilles for the next five years. Uh, but no, it's uh, obviously an exciting thing to run up against. Matt Turner obviously won't be there. He'll be winning the Gold Cup, but uh, he loved his time in St. Louis last week or two weeks ago. Last week, two weeks ago, but um, yeah. That was fun seeing him. He was a uh, high school baseball player, so I don't know if everyone saw, but he took batting practice with Nolan Arenado. Uh, hit a couple home runs in batting practice. That's pretty impressive. Um, that was exciting. But MLS, the crossbar challenge is one of those really fun things to watch, and MLS does a really good job seeing this, doing the skills challenge. If you haven't seen it before, I'd encourage it. It's a lot of fun. I would compare it to the uh nhl all-star game does a fun skills challenge but i it feels like uh when it comes to mls it's a little more tangible like in hockey it's it's harder to when someone slaps a puck 102 miles an hour that's just fast you don't really understand like how crazy that is but if someone's doing some of these crazy things with mls you can you can kind of tell that they're doing well really crazy things really impressive yeah and it, it just seems like a good time like it, it's one of those really casual really um just laid back events for a lot of the pl- the players not unlike nhl mlb those kinds of things where they just have a good time that are be there enjoying themselves um and, and still just so nice to have st louis represented i think that's that's one of those things that you couldn't really envision happening in the first season and it's almost surreal to know that the guys are wearing the st louis crest while they're they're there uh, kind of hobnobbing it with every, everybody else, the top players in the league. It's exciting. But while that's going on, guys, we've got a transfer window that's open. And we touched on, we touched on the two rumors that have hit St. Louis City over the past couple of weeks. MLS has a whole lot of movement occurring at the beginning of this window and even right before the window with announcements. Um, Santi, at practice today, at training on Thursday, um, Quick moment to talk with Lutz, who gave me a little bit of crap, I feel, for <laughs> for uh, tweeting out the uh, the Thorison rumor, the um, Nukvi Thorison, the 23-year-old Icelandic left winger forward, who the article where I tweeted it out, he was a footnote in the article. It was about a completely different player for 90% of the article, and then at the very bottom, oh, by the way... We've also we also can confirm this from Belgium. We can also confirm that Thorson's on his way to St. Louis City and Lutz uh, with a, a, a translation joke that I, I tweeted an article that had something to do with an entirely different player. And I was able to jab back. Well, I, I read the footnotes, too. So when I saw that, <laughs> that St. Louis City was in there. But something else he said kind of piqued my interest. And it was uh, almost an extension of what he said last week. And that was. That was related to to the expectations of signing a player early, bringing in somebody early, 
and how that's not really at the the forefront of what St. Louis is looking to do, not just because they have the luxury of being able to wait because of how their season has gone so far, but their roster construction and depth has has allowed them to be very intentional, very specific in what they're doing. He made a comment that the best teams in general wait until the last day, the last few days. There's a reason that for European transfer deadlines, you have the deadline day show that lasts the entire day with reporters literally standing outside players and coaches houses because that last day is where the magic happens. And he made a, his comment is that with, with America signing international players, there's a little bit of a lengthier uh, requirement because of ITCs and visas and work permits that have to be acquired. So it's not early, but it's also not, at the very end. Otherwise you don't get the services of that player for an extended period of time. You have to work on these things earlier. Santi, I, I think that uh, the, the time frame I was looking at is that two and a half weeks from the end of the transfer window of where that sweet spot where the magic might happen. And so if you're a St. Louis city fan and you're thinking about when we should start hoping to hear something, I think the time that I had targeted was around July 14th to 17th where it gives you that window of you've waited, you, you're towards the end, you've passed the Miami game, essentially, at that point. So you're at the break, which he alluded to last week, of getting to the break and, and doing some work then. But you would also be able to get players into camp, into the country, if you're looking internationally, to be ready to go August 20th against Austin FC. So I'm, I'm hopeful for that time frame, but I'm also very cautious in what everybody's expectations are before that time frame. What do you think about, what do you think about that? Well, first I was very impressed as long as he said 2.5 weeks, Matt Baker, like two seconds later, he already had the time frame down. <laughs> uh, so great. Uh, so that's uh, coming up in a couple of weeks, uh, actually less than a couple of weeks, uh, could be end of next week or early the following. Um, but yeah, um, I think um, just the team will be patient um, with how these things develop and and um, not in a rush. And it's a good plan. Uh, hopefully, uh, the paperwork and everything works to have uh, the players or the player available uh, for that August 20th game against Austin. And, and we were kind of talking about it today. Like, uh, those things take time. So... It's not like uh, it, the player is announced and then uh, he's going to be available for League's Cup or yep. or uh, default. Like even if it was announced this week, I uh, don't expect the player to be available against Miami. But um, it'll be interesting to see if whoever is announced uh, will be more of a player that we'll see sometime this year, but uh, it's definitely more... Uh, for looking into what their impact will be next year. They will get used to uh, the team and the style and, and the city this year and and then make an impact uh, next year. And for the record, the club's official stance on uh, these two players that we're going to talk about in a second is the club does not comment on rumors. So take that for what you will or you know don't because it really doesn't mean anything. It's just that they're not going to talk about it. But the two players that we touched on during our first portion of the, of the show, Nuke V. Thorson, he's the one I want to kind of focus on. We can, we can talk about Conrado here in a little bit, but Nuke V is the one I want to spend some time on. 
23-year-old Icelandic left winger, center forward with an international cap for Iceland. He spent some time with Hanover's U19 side in Germany. That overlapped with Lutz being the head of international relations and scouting with Hoffenheim. So there is that German connection and network that is likely playing a part if this actually comes to fruition in in his scouting and relationships. There's a there's a breakdown that I read, guys, from Transfermarkt that looked to um, Thorson's time with the Hanover U19s with K.A. Akeri in Iceland, their first division team, and Beershot in Belgium that talked about the number of games he's played at each position in those with those teams. He's played 32 games at left winger, scoring 20 goals and six assists. He's played 24 matches at center forward with five goals and two assists, 18 matches at attacking midfield with four goals, 15 matches at right winger with four goals, two assists, and four games as a second striker, with I, I assume that's an underlapping striker with two goals and one assist. But he's he's that proven goal scorer, right? At 23 years old with an uh, international cap, this is the guy who has the good finishing ability. I mentioned it earlier. He's fast in transition. He has great pace. Get in behind those lines. His timing looks pretty impeccable in how he's able to have that good first touch and finish the ball. This is the this is an exciting one. And and while he doesn't fit into the U22s, the young DPs which I did talk to Tom Bogert about to see if he might be able to qualify because he turns 24 in August. And I think we both kind of agreed that the roster rules saying a designated player who is 23 years old or younger than the age of 23 during the league year. And it says the age of the player is determined by year, not date of birth. I think that him turning 24 during the league year precludes that Tom seemed to agree. So this isn't going to be a U 22. This wouldn't be a young DP, but it would be an exciting prospect. Hey, you never know if the league is going to change the rules uh, <laughs> with all this Miami stuff going on. And maybe they will say, OK, he will be uh, he can be your young DP, give something to every team so so they don't get too upset with all these rule changes. Yeah, Stu, what do you see that uh, Thorson, who just a fantastic name? I mean, we can't just not say how cool his name is, right? I mean, it's the wind down. We have to at least touch on that. But. <laughs> What do you see him being able to bring to St. Louis City? Would it be depth? Could it be slotting in as a starter? I mean, the, there, there's articles, there's there's websites that really tout his scouting ability, but how do you see him possibly fitting in with St. Louis? Well, my first thought is uh, he would play up top um, as a starter in front of a Denneran, and I don't want to assume that uh, Klaus is out long-term, but until he starts playing and training, you kind of don't factor him in right uh so yeah I, I would say more on starting up top or depth behind big sam but also on the left side that changes up having a guy that size who might be able to physically i don't know what his pace is like i don't know if he can match celio out there but if he has the size to out muscle uh players on the left that brings up some interesting things because you can play the ball to him, almost have some holdup, and he can cross into a Denneran or a Nico, uh, cause some, you know, size mismatchups there. I don't know. It's any extra players you try to temper expectations for, but at the same time, you always, ex I mean, I'm excited. I know nothing about him, but I expect he'll score, you know, 30 goals uh, in the next 
season and a half, and he'll get sold to Everton for 45 million pounds. I don't know. Uh, let's clip that one and, and put that out there because <laughs> what would happen if that came to fruition? I'm telling but, you. But do uh, MLS teams uh, do – well, does MLS use the thorn symbol, that P symbol for the TH? Do they actually use that on the back of the jerseys? Uh, I think it's up to the player. I don't know if they have restrictions. I just know that I've heard that the player can put not anything. It's not the XFL, but they, the player can put however they want to refer to themselves as. So that would be interesting. Mm-hmm. It confuse a lot of fans, I would think, more than anything. He's, he is contracted through 2025 with that market value of 705000 So there would be... Um, there would be some spend on this one. It's not like a massive contract. It's not a DP type deal I envision. But with that market value being what it is, um, there is a potential that he could approach the TAM value. If you're if you're paying that market value in a transfer fee and then whatever the salary ends up being, that in and of itself would push him over the max salary. So we could could be looking around an Ostrak type um, uh, payment structure where a salary budget charge for Ostrak is around 800000 you could be looking for that and more of the budget charge to Thorson if the if the deal actually comes to fruition. I found a fun article in World Soccer Magazine uh, after the 2022 season when he was making the move to Beershot in Belgium. And it says, as far as Icelandic players, because it had three players from each country that they were watching, and they said he's a threat all along the front line. Young forward, Nukvi Thorson, could not stop scoring for KA, notching 17 goals from just 20 games. The 23-year-old's form was good enough to earn a move to Belgian side beer shot in September. He was one of three players that highlighted for the entire season's wrap-up. He's he's not just a player who is um, in, in Belgium playing, but this is like a nationally recognized player. I, I wonder what his national team future would be, but given the connections to Lutz from Germany from years ago, uh, to what he could bring to Manuel Veth, even confirming that talks are are happening. He did, he confirmed he, he seemed to confirm that there wasn't a, a deal in place, but he did confirm talks are happening. So this is this is seems to be as real as anything that we've had so far for St. Louis City, um, even dating back to like the Jared Strouds, the the other discussions that were occurring last year, which we knew were happening, but nothing was being confirmed. This is an exciting one to watch. Uh, guys, with the other one being a little, I don't want to call it stale at this point, but Conrado's been out there for a little bit. And Santi, I think, um, I think you had mentioned uh, the the conversations with uh, him being out on the move or confirming to be leaving. But Conrado also brings to us a left sided player, twenty six years old. Like I said, that left footed Brazilian left back, left mid, left winger. He's under contract until 2024 as well with Lechia Donsk in the Polish first division. He's older. He has a little bit of a different profile as far as scoring ability. It seems like he would, he would profile more as a fullback or a left wing back. Um, so there's, there's is a difference just not being on the left side in what he would offer to the depth and the roster makeup for St. Louis. What do you know, or what do you think about Conrado? Well, uh, to me, it's interesting that left, win back profile just because of what we think is going to happen when when Joachim Nilsson is back that City will use that formation with with three center backs and two win backs um so he could be 
a good alternative for that. Uh, the thing that I don't like um, is that uh, he's 26, mm -hmm. so a little bit older, but uh, it's still uh, should have a, at least two or three productive years. But just thinking about um, the team wanted to uh, get young players, uh, develop them, and maybe sell them later on i don't think he he fits the profile but the fact that uh he can play a, as a left back a left wing or even a wing back um gives gives a lot of versatility uh, but yeah just from these two players um it, it at least based on these rumors it looks like uh, the team is looking for somebody on that left side the market value of these two players are pretty close just $50,000 difference in their market value from transfer marked. And like we mentioned, Conrado's contract goes through June 24. We'd have to pay a transfer fee in addition to uh, a salary. The interesting thing for Conrado to me is that we are not the first MLS team being linked to him. Last April, there were rumors that the New York Red Bulls were targeting Conrado for their summer transfer window in 2022. Um, so there's a there's an interesting dynamic going on with the styles of the systems that are trying to recruit Conrado. That's for sure. You would think that there would be some similarities in what St. Louis city sees versus what New York sees. And while that obviously didn't come to fruition, um, there were a lot of interesting things that uh, Conrado kind of had to say about, uh, you know, coming in, what was said about him. Conrado was saying when I, when I, when I play as a midfielder, I want to score uh, there's different two different positions when playing as a left back. His focus is defending. Uh, he tries to attack as a midfielder. So we talk about what he can offer St. Louis. It seems like there's a, a knowledge and experience in the back and forth in the two way type of a player. So the age profile is concerning or at least different than what we'd, we would expect from Lutz to be bringing in. The cost seems a little high for that type of a player as a left back, um, not an attacking player. But the system, the style, some things match up there. So that's an interesting one to keep an eye on for that regard. Stu, anything else you you have on either of these two players? Well, the Lechia Gdansk uh, fans seem to think for sure that Conrado's leaving. Mm -hmm. So that doesn't mean he's coming to St. Louis, but they think he's leaving their club at least. Uh, I mean, again, we'll, we'll see how how things match up. An interesting St. Louis connection is when uh, Nookie was in um, with KA, they played a lot against uh, Kaflavik. And when they were playing Kaflavik, uh, former St. Louis FC player, Christian Valeski was starting for them up top. Mm -hmm. So I knew there was uh, a connection there in Iceland at that time. He was there in 2021. Um, but I, I expect by the time this goes live and people are listening to it tomorrow and across the weekend, there will be at least one more player connected to St. Louis City. Uh, there will be others flying around, um, some with legs to them, some without. But that's just kind of how transfer and uh, the crazy season goes. Yeah, one thing I do want to say on Nukvi is coming from coming from Belgium there. I always like to look and see and compare some of the uh, leagues themselves in how they match up against MLS and, and look to see 
you know, are they are they at a lower level, a higher level? You know, where do they overall match up? And the Belgian first first division is the 13th best league in the world. If you're looking at um, average SPI, the global football rankings, whereas MLS is 16. So he, he plays in a more competitive or has experience rather in a similar, if not a little more competitive league. It sits uh, just above the Australian Bundesliga, um, just below the Chinese Super League and just below the English championship. So kind of an interesting, and we know that English championship players tend to do a little better in their transitions to MLS. So that's an interesting comparison to the style or the, the type of competition that he's been seeing and having success in with Belgium. Yeah. And a beer shot is not a tiny Belgian club. I mean, they're not huge necessarily, but uh, they've, they've been in the top league, Jupiter league before. Right. And I think they got relegated uh, two years ago. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they're, they're not this tiny Belgian club and just buried in the second division. Uh, they're a club that has first division aspirations. And the fact that they liked him was a sign that they see something in him. Yeah. To help them try to reach that level. And they, they, that's why they signed him, I think to the multi-year contract. So that's St. Louis guys, but it's not everything that's going on in the world of MLS. I've got in front of me a few other transfers that have, uh, have either occurred or uh, been announced. Um, some of them are, are interesting, like LAFC sending Quadwo Opoku to CF Montreal for uh, one of the highest GAM am amounts in league history, $1.75 million in GAM. Stu, you mentioned uh, Franco Ibarra being loaned from Atlanta as a U-22 over to Toronto. Sporting Kansas City just brought back a former DP, Felipe Gutierrez. Um, New England Revolution have signed midfielder Ian Harkis. The Philadelphia Union, this is an interesting one, have loaned defender Brandon Craig to Austin FC, Craig of um, national team experience, who that's more of a, uh, a short term to the end of the season, but also Austin didn't really have to give up a whole lot for that loan. It was 125000 in GAM and a super draft pick. That's one we were watching because there was speculation this week about Franco Ibarra and what he might garner uh, if St. Louis was interested in, in his profile of a player. Not a whole lot of massive blockbusters besides the Opoku. I thought Felipe Gutierrez was really interesting to note. You guys noticed anything else big or noteworthy throughout the league before we get into Miami? Well, Giorgio Bello is uh, rumored to uh, be coming back to MLS. He's an interesting one because, well, along with Harkis, we would have had the first take on them as returning uh, players in allocation order and real salt lake yeah well maybe sergeant will come over at one point but uh george bellow i mean he was highly touted for years when he was with atlanta united coming up through their academy system then he went internationally um and he was with uh birmingham city last i believe um but it sounds like he's coming back stateside but that's one that you'd think maybe Lutz Lutz would uh would look at. But um, I don't think he fits. Maybe not Lutz, but a uh, an American uh, sporting director who might be swayed by um, some. I don't know how to say it, but uh, connections locally that uh, maybe Lutz is not subject to where mm. he can 
be unbiased and look for diamonds in the rough and not a guy like Bella, who who's a fantastic player, but maybe doesn't fit what we want. He's not going to force a guy like George Bello into mm-hmm. our lineup. Right. Agreed. So guys, uh, we've got some questions that I want to finish the show on because that's a little bit of a lighter topic, but let's talk about Miami for a minute because obviously Miami's in our league, what they do impacts us in um, just if they force roster changes or roster rule changes or just what they're bringing eyes in the league. We've talked about Messi and his, his individual uh, contribution to MLS and, and how Miami can fit him in, in their existing structures as a DP. I think he's reported in making 50 to $60 million uh, share of MLS season pass revenue, a share of Adidas Jersey sales. It's kind of unprecedented to the level of which he's being offered these partnerships as well as a possible future franchise fee in an expansion team. All of these things are kind of magnified off and building off of things like David Beckham and and what we've seen exist in the league before. But now we're starting to see rumors and supposed confirmations of an an all-star roster of former FC Barcelona players (laughs) joining Lionel Messi at inter Miami and trying to build a, a dynasty in a month, it seems. And, and there's a lot of, I've got a lot of opinions on this because for those who either don't know or don't remember inter Miami was sanctioned just a couple of years ago for mishandling their roster. They, they were, they were, there were violations, including, um, the incorrect roster categorizations of Blaze Matuidi and Andre Reyes, who should have occupied DP slots but didn't. Violations were undisclosed agreements that resulted in the underreporting of salary budget amounts for players like Gonzalez Perez, um, Nicolas Figal, and Julian Carranza. So this is like systemic in their team. And there were penalties to players. So Paul McDonough uh, was suspended, their COO and sporting director. Jorge Mas, their owner, was fined. They had a $2 million fine to the club. And they had a $2.271 million reduction in allocation dollars for 22 and 23. And I want to bring that up because the way that Miami is fitting all of these players into their roster requires the use of significant targeted allocation money. There are three designated player slots available to them on a roster, just like any other MLS side. And it's being reported that they're using that for Messi, uh, Sergio Busquets and Leo Campana as, and those will be their three DPs going forward. Everybody else, Gregor, uh, Jordi Alba, a potential Eden hazard. All of those players would have to fit into the TAM structure. And the TAM structure is a salary of 1.6, 1.65 million max. The, the max budget you can pay a single player is $651,250. The max you could go above that before reaching the DP threshold is a million dollars above that. 1.6 is Berkey salary. That's the max TAM amount a player can get. You have to fit every other player into that. So we're looking at Jordi Alba going from $24 million to $1.6 million. And that in and of itself to me, guys, isn't unheard of because Gareth Bale did something similar, if not the exact thing, with LAFC. So that that's not um, the big story to me. It's not the gathering of all these stars. It's not... Uh, buying out certain designated players like um, uh, Rodolfo Pizarro, who is supposedly mm-hmm. being victim right now of a forced <laughs> move out. And it's not even it's not even having a lot of TAM players on the roster in and of itself. It's the fact that 
Miami is is not a a five ten year team who's been accruing targeted allocation money, general allocation money for all these years because teams get them a new bucket year over year. But they've had all these players that I just mentioned earlier that they were fined for in TAM dollars. So they've been spending right. TAM. They've been spending GAM. They've made trades over the past few years. But by my math, because I was called out on it tonight on Twitter, by <laughs> my math, they only made, in, since their inception, around $2.9 million in allocation money. And their fine or reduction in allocation money over the past two years has been 2.27. It's close to a wash. And so you're looking at a regular team who has made no other moves to acquire allocation money, being able to pay all of this extravagant amount of allocation monies for a Jordi Alba and whoever else they bring in, not to from the fact that they already have existing players on their roster who are in that TAM threshold. I counted, uh, if you don't count, well, you have to count Jose, um, uh, Joseph Martinez, mm-hmm. because Joseph Martinez is on a TAM deal. Yeah. And Joseph Martinez is making $4.39 million. You might be asking, how is he on a TAM deal? Atlanta ate most of his money when they traded him. And as Paul Tenorio so astutely commented tonight, clubs may trade a designated player and shed the DP slot designation as long as they do it one time per year or two total mm-hmm. active at any given time. So it's, it's you, you're basically given a get out of DP free card by this mechanism and Atlanta used it on Joseph Martinez. That's why he's not a DP, even though he's making 4.39 million. We mentioned Rodolfo Pizarro as they're getting rid of him. The one DP they're trying to shed. So inner Miami has five other players on their roster who are making more than the max amount before you get into any of these new signings of Jordi Alba or anybody else. This is a lot of Tam that they already had on the books when there wasn't a whole lot of influx minus their reductions because of their violations. It's a how many How many international slots do they have? Oh, God, I didn't even get into that. I was so <laughs> deep in the weeds of the allocation money that I haven't even touched on whether they have enough international slots to do this. Well, they spent uh, GAM last year for international slots, for one international slot. So it's more GAM given I'm, I'm looking at the roster, and uh, I, I don't know who has green cards or not, but I know... <laughs> what they should have seven and if they're bringing in four yeah yeah hmm. I, toe in the line there like too be, yeah really tight there too and how are you going to acquire more without gam and tam it's a, it's a it's a mess it's I, I i hesitate to say that it is um blatantly violating mls rules because of all teams to even attempt to violate mls rules Inter Miami would have to have some stones to to try that again. Yeah, and and so I get the notion of MLS is and there's a lot of this going around that MLS is bending over backwards to make this happen. Like they're they're willing to do whatever it takes, and I I can agree to that to an extent where they may be like legitimately helping Miami with their books in saying yeah this is okay or you can't do this or you're going to go over some consulting advice if you will. Yeah. I don't doubt that that might be happening. But to say that that uh, Inter Miami is blatantly violating things because ultimately, like my spiel, my diatribe aside, we don't know how much allocation money they truly have. I think that's one of the the biggest issues with MLS and their roster rules is the unknown amounts of allocation money. If you really wanted to 
keep all that stuff and grow fandom and really get the nerd aspect into it and the analytics that favor all the advanced stats in baseball and everything else, open those kinds of books. Let people see just how much allocation money each team has and what they are truly playing with. I have fun doing it when I'm guessing. I can only imagine how much fun multiple people would have in a football manager type way when you're trying to be able to put all these pieces when you know what's going on. That's why I'm just, I'm frustrated in the sense of it seems like they don't have the allocation money to do this, but I'm even more frustrated because I truly don't know one way or another. It's just seeing all these things add up to make it seem like it doesn't. Yeah, I I definitely hate that lack of transparency. The other thing uh, with all these international players, so will Miami have to negotiate with anybody else that may have uh, Jordi Alba or Sergi Busquets on, on their list? I, I know the rule changed, so uh, I'm a little unclear on that. Uh, well, that's the other assumption is that um, Inter-Miami have all these players on their discovery list because the discovery list of players who are notable and not in MLS meaning when they when those players want to come to MLS a team certain team holds their rights um that still exists it's the allocation order that doesn't exist where you're able to if somebody's not on a discovery list you have rights to them if they want to come mm-hmm. type of a thing now the the going rate for a discovery slot or yeah discovery slot um price tag is around 125,000 in gam so that's just more gamer tam right. out the window if they don't already have the rights to Jordi Alba or Sergio Busquets or Eden Hazard or whoever else they might want to bring in. Definitely another wrinkle, but um, I have no doubt that that's another one of those things that MLS would help them negotiate through. Yeah, yeah, and there, there's no way n- neither of the Los Angeles teams didn't put in a discovery claim on those guys. Those are. I mean, Chris Klein had to be sitting back and just being like, Eden Hazard, I got to have him. Uh, <laughs> no doubt. I mean, Sergio Busquets uh, at LAFC, that had to be one of the guys they were looking at. Or you you think of it. Um, yeah, and you can yeah. only have so many, so many people. It's like six or seven at max yeah. you can have on your list. So you can't legitimately gobble up all these players. Yeah. It's just not possible, even with their their rules. All right, guys, anything else we want to talk about with Miami? No, not for me. All right. Um, questions we had kind of related to travel and with with going up to Canada. I haven't heard of any issues. I think going to Canada, everybody has their ducks in a row. Um, and, and Kyle Hebert's going to lead the charge up there. <laughs> <laughs> right. Last year, that was the joke uh, with yeah. CD2, with Kyle having his Canadian pe- passport and leading the charge and having advantages like going into Canada and then coming back. Uh, but yeah, I haven't heard of any issues. The one fun thing to, to note or to watch for this weekend is City 2 plays in LA against the Galaxy this weekend. And so City's travel will be to go to Toronto on Saturday and then to go to LA uh, after the game. As far as I know, they're flying straight there on Sunday. Sunday's what's called a travel day for them. Uh, they won't be practicing in St. Louis. They won't have an off day in St. Louis. It will be interesting to see if there are any players that that are, uh, because of the three matches in eight days, who play for City 2 and then stick around in, in L.A. Mm. and join the first team, like a Pedro, like a Jensen, just to see how that goes to get them some minutes this weekend and, and possibly have them available uh, for the midweek match against LAFC. So that's something else to watch for besides the game for City against Toronto on Saturday. 
Yeah, just by them being already there. Um, and if something happens with another player, it's just mm -hmm. one more option you, you have for the Wednesday match. Um, okay, the way I was thinking about it, but yeah, it's just a long flight. Uh, so nobody who is in Toronto will probably be available to play uh, for CD2 if they don't get minutes, right? I can't imagine. I mean, we're not dealing with a superhuman bloom here where you're right. flying <laughs> 20 hours and then immediately flipping around and, and playing. Yeah, it's, it's just a, long, a very long flight. Uh, but yeah, it makes sense uh, for anybody who is already there and plays on Sunday um, to be available for Wednesday. All right, guys, last call before we get out of here. Anything else you want to discuss? Now All I'm right. just excited to see how, uh, you know, Tata and Martina, Martino is uh, back with uh, Messi, and they really didn't like each other <laughs> last time he All played right. Barcelona. So interesting yeah. choice there by Miami. Going with the yeah. familiarity oh, over the uh, actual interactions. Yeah, by the way, he just got, his visa and work permit and all of that and uh, it looks like he will start as the head coach on monday so no messi at city park but tata, tata martino may be here all right somebody to watch out for that'll be interesting to see him roaming the sidelines and getting ready for messi and uh what will actually be their tune-up but we'll talk about that one next week on this show when we do their preview Guys, it's been fun. I've enjoyed uh, the transfer window talk. Uh, that, I'm looking forward to that being a regular thing we get to discuss, hopefully with some uh, specifics and some uh, legitimate signing news in the next few weeks. It's going to be a fun match to watch this weekend against Toronto. I've enjoyed uh, previewing it all with you guys. We know the two teams are in opposite trajectories, and we'll see how it all plays out this weekend. Santi, Stu, thanks for joining me. My name is Matt Baker, and this is Flyover Footy. We really appreciate you listening and sticking around with us. If you're so inclined, we'd love to have you subscribe, leave a review, and let us know how we're doing. It really helps us out on uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We will be back, Santi and I, for Flyover Fallout. Uh, we'll record on Sunday, and we'll be putting the pod out on Monday. Thanks for staying with us. Really appreciate it. Have a great one. Go City. Go City.